Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Paige Arnoffin on the line. Paige, how are you? Great to be here. Thank you so much. Doing fine. That's Happy awesome. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time now uh, because I always like talking with people about branding and marketing, partly because my original career was in accounting and we used to make fun of you people. And boy, do I regret that now being an owner of a business. I really should have paid more attention uh, back then, all those many decades ago. It, 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 it's funny too, real quick. You know, it's getting, you know, back in time and you know getting longer and longer when you're filling out something online and you have to pick your birth date your birth year and you keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and like oh boy we're you know we're gonna run out of years here pretty soon that's when you know your you know time is flying by so but you do some amazing work uh, around branding and things like that so why don't you share a little bit about you with the audience and then we'll dive into the conversation well thanks so much um yeah, I've been in marketing uh, since 1990, which, like you said, feels like I'm scrolling way back. Um, when I got into marketing, I had no idea this would be my career for the foreseeable future, but it's it's been a great career path. You know, I started my marketing career at Procter & Gamble, which is, you know, a huge consumer products marketing firm. They make all the things that you probably buy, Crest toothpaste, Tide detergent, Pampers, diapers, bounty paper towels, Charmin um, toilet paper. I mean, they're the category leader in pretty much every category they compete in. And I started there kind of learning from the master, if you will. And I left P&G to go run a joint venture for the Olympics back in 1996. And then I went to Coca-Cola another huge consumer products marketing firm, maybe the most recognized brand in the world. So I'm a classically trained consumer products marketing person that migrated into business to business and technology in the 90s because that's where the hot jobs were. And then I hung out a shingle and started my own marketing firm 20 years ago, which like you said, it feels like a blink now, but you know, it's, uh, I can't believe I've been doing this now for decades. And, you know, my firm is basically, we do marketing consulting for organizations from early stage startup up to Fortune 500, including nonprofits. And we work with companies at all sizes to help them get their stories out there, to help them find the right words and pictures, to find a great audience, to sell more products and services. So that's been the marketing journey. It's a great story, and obviously, yes, we. I'm, I'm sure I could probably go around my my house and find products from P and G, and and probably Coca Cola as well. Um, and, and because each of those organizations over the years have branched out, besides just you know the the initial products that they were a part of through acquisition and 
development of new products and services and exactly. and everything like that. So I'm definitely definitely familiar with that. And um, the '96 Olympics were were amazing in Atlanta, and you know all, all the things that you know transpired with that. And it was it's always it's always fun when the Olympics are on our soil because it, uh, it it just gets the attention a little bit more. I mean, not that you know the normal Olympics don't. I mean, people get excited by it, but when it's when it's in you know, your footprint, it, it definitely makes it uh, an exciting time. And of course, yeah, when it's in your time zone too, it makes it easy because you're seeing everything in real time, not delayed. You don't sneak peek uh, results on the internet, or so mm-hmm. there are no spoiler alerts. So it, it was pretty special. Yeah, and we had to deal with that with the Summer Olympics that were last year and, and saying, okay, I want to watch this event, but I don't want to know. And it, it, it's hard now with social media and everything like that. You can just accidentally open up something and you see, okay, the United States or this athlete did this. And you're like, oh, I wanted to you know, kind of watch it. And of course, you know, the Winter Olympics coming up is going to be the same type of situation. So exactly. uh, we, we're going to have to somewhat live in a cave for a couple of weeks and just, okay, okay, let's, let's turn this on. Let's see what, and watch the event that we want to watch. But no, it, all those experiences, you know, from, you know, the branding and the marketing and, and then working in the Olympics, which is a, an entity in itself, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And then segueing into Coke and, and all of that experience, you know, when you launch your own business, you have all of that information and you're like, okay, I, I know how to do all of this things or all these things. But then when you launch your own business, it's like, okay, I know how to do all these things, but okay, wait a minute. I don't have the budget <laughs> typically when you first start off that you would probably would have had access to from a PNG or a Coca-Cola. So yeah, how'd you navigate those first days? I mean, obviously you know, with your experience and, and, and time in the business, you were known. So you, you could, you could reach out to organizations and you knew how to engage them. Uh, but I, I was curious, just, you know, how, how are those early days? Cause you know, so many people that listen to my show are still in, you know, probably the first two or three years of their business and they've had some success, but they're, they're kind of hitting a little bit of a plateau. So I'd be curious to see, you know, how you kind of navigated through that. So the majority of my clients are people that are either just starting early stage venture back startups, pre-revenue to mid-market and emerging market firms kind of building and growing, but they certainly cannot afford to run major network television advertising, Super Bowl ads, you know, P&G and Coke are kind of in a whole category by themselves. So, um, you know, working with companies that are budget constrained you have to be smarter. There's no two ways about it. You don't have money to waste. Um, so I kind of took baby steps from the big corporate marketing to the startup marketing to you know working as an entrepreneur. With the venture back startups that I was the head of marketing for, I worked for three um, internet companies as the head of marketing in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s. All three of them had good exits. So that was great. Um, they raised, you know, anywhere from, you know, single digit to double digit millions of dollars. But again, you're not talking Super Bowl ads. We had to be really scrappy. The first startup I worked for in Los Angeles was in the music and entertainment space. And we needed to do market research. And at P&G, market research was this very big, you know, it was basically statistically significant um, research that took months to 
field and then you had to all the data come back. You had to spend months analyzing the data and to get the uh, research approved. So it could take anywhere from six, nine, even 12 months to do a market research study. In startup land, you don't have the luxury of budget or time to do that. We were targeting uh, basically a very young male audience in the music and entertainment space. Everything, it was early stage, you know, discovering music online. And so our, our core audience was like 18 to 24 year old males. And, you know, when we knew, when we looked at the persona of who our audience was, they were a lot of, you know, guys with tattoos, piercings, uh, dyed hair, skateboarding, you know, you know, you, you could picture these guys, but we couldn't afford to field a study to find them and get them into a conference room and all of that. Our, our office was about five blocks from the beach in Los Angeles, and there was a promenade right on the water where there were lots of restaurants and shops. So in the morning, my team would come in with their coffee in the conference room. We'd sit around the table and brainstorm over coffee, some ideas of things we wanted to try online, new banner ads, new promotions. We'd quickly, you know, break after an hour, the designers would mock up different ads, we'd get them on boards, and we'd go down to the promenade and the team would station itself at different spots along the pedestrian mall over the lunch hour. So we'd spend about two hours over lunch with clipboards intercepting guys that looked like our audience. If they were young on skateboards, with earphones, you know, piercings, tattoos. We'd say, hey, can you come here and spend a few minutes? We want to show you some stuff. And if you'll do it, we'll give you some CDs of hot music. And they're like, yeah, sure, cool, thanks. So we'd point to things and we'd say, what do you like? Which is your favorite? You know, if you saw this, what would you think? Do you like this headline? Do you like that headline? Which do you prefer? Anyway, we'd spend a couple hours at lunch. We'd go back to the conference room in the afternoon. We'd tally up our votes. Before we left that evening, we would put the, the ads that had the biggest response, the most popular copy, the biggest headlines that we um, heard back from on the website. We'd leave, go home. We'd come in the next morning, meet back in the conference room with our coffee, and we'd look at the analytics and we'd say, what got the biggest click-throughs? What did they, where were the breadcrumbs? Which ones led to conversion? Where, you know, wh what hooked them in? Where did they go on the site? What did they do? Did they buy? Did they download? And we'd iterate the next day and do the same thing and the same thing. So in a couple of day period, we weren't talking to thousands of people, but we would talk to dozens, maybe a hundred people getting real-time feedback, iterating in real-time, and moving the needle. And we could see the clicks. We could see what was happening. All it cost us was our time and a few free CDs that we hung out, you know, handed out as, as payment for their time. So it was very scrappy, very entrepreneurial. But again, we were in a kind of startup scrappy situation. So you, you do what you got to do. We learned really fast. We 
built our traffic really quickly. We went public about a year, a year and a half later, and we were sold to Yahoo. So it was a huge success story. And um, I did it again at the second startup and again at the third startup. Um, at my third startup, um, the company at the time, no one had ever heard of it. It's, it's called Zipcar. Now it's kind of a, a brand that everybody knows, but no one under, they, they understood car rental. They didn't really understand car sharing. Well, we had no budget. Uh, the, the first startup I told you about had raised about $40 million and all of that was being used in marketing, a little for engineering and, you know, the tech guys, but most of it was for marketing. Zipcar, we had virtually no budget. So I had to be really scrappy. I mean, I got really good at guerrilla marketing as, as the head of marketing at Zipcar. And without money, the currency that I could use was driving credit on the car. So I could have people help me. And then if they did, I'd give them a, for every hour they helped me, I'd give them an hour of free driving credit. So for the, um, for the early adopters, the very first people that we had signing up for Zipcar, we were just in Boston at our headquarters. That was the only city we had when we first started, but we had people in a lot of different neighborhoods. So I created a customer advisory board of one person from each of the main neighborhoods in town, you know, urban ones, more uh, downtown, more near universities, more near hospitals, more near technology companies. And I would have board meetings with my customer advisory board once a month. I'd order pizza and beer and we'd sit around the table. We'd brainstorm ideas. And one of the neighborhoods is uh, that I had a representative from, it's called the North End. And if anyone knows Boston, the North End, it's very Italian and it's very much a neighborhood. And over the summer, every single weekend, they have a different feast or a different festival and it's like a street fair. Well, I didn't have a marketing department. I was the marketing department. So I asked my North End board member, um, every weekend we need to be present at the street festival. If I rent you, if I, if I reserve a car from the network, can you, it'll be one in your neighborhood. Could you pick up the car, get some helium balloons, stick it on the car to, you know, draw attention and pass out these postcards. We would get these postcards made by Vistaprint, which at the time, you, all you had to do was pay for the shipping. They were free. So I got these free postcards made. It was a free car from the system. But I asked him and I asked him to get some of his local friends who were Zipcar members to take turns and pass out the, the um, postcards. I didn't have any marketing stuff to give them. But I said, you know, this is a guy that's a Zipcar member that lives in this neighborhood where the people are going to be celebrating. And so can you just tell people, hey, I, I don't work for Zipcar. I just drive the car. And each of our cars had cute names. And he was like, this car is called so-and-so. And I use it on Tuesdays to go to my karate 
group or I do it on, I uh, reserve on Saturdays to go grocery shopping or I took it last weekend up to the mountains to go hiking. So each one of these Zipcar members had different stories to tell about the cars in the neighborhood and how much they love being a member. Well, at the end of the month, um, I had had so many people in our network of our board members volunteer their time that they got to drive Zipcar for free. So they basically were free members, even though they were members, I, they were helping me so much. They, and they loved it because they loved the brand. They loved the service and they loved talking about it. So they would help me sign up new members. And you know what? They were more credible than me because I'm a, I'm a hired gun. I'm the head of marketing, but these people are doing it out of pure love and joy for the brand. So they were the champions and, you know, people just, it was so credible, so authentic. And that's how we built the brand. And we moved from Boston to New York to Washington, D.C. And now there's zip cars all over. We've got them overseas. They're everywhere. And then again, if you fast forward a little more than a year, we went public and we were sold to Avis. So, you know, now it's like a billion dollar brand. But I mean, we were just in the infancy when I started as the head of marketing there. So I think, you know, having a lack of budget, you might at, at first think it's really scary and we're not going to be able to do anything. But I think you have to use the currency you have. And whether it's time and scrappiness and smarts or driving credit or whatever it is, use what you got, be smart, be scrappy. And you can get there. You just, the, the less money, the more creative I think you have to be. I love that story. And it, it, one of the things that I know a lot of entrepreneurs look at, especially when they start their business, like, okay, how do I work with Fortune 500 companies? And I often say, well, work with Fortune 5 million companies <laughs> first. Get, you know, just start working. It, the works that, you know, they, they, they view these, you know, monolith type organizations as huge. And, and of course they are. They've got multiple departments and all of that stuff, but you're still dealing with people. And you had raving fans with Zipcar. And you, you gave, you know, a couple examples right there where it's like, yeah, you were bought by Fortune 500 companies. And, exactly. and, and it's like, that, that's, that's a great way to work with them. They just buy you right out. And all of a sudden, <laughs> wow, that, uh, I don't think I'm going to have to, you know, worry about billable hours on this one. It's like, okay, good. <laughs> now, now what? And again, all of those experiences, you know, that you've learned along the way, it's like, okay, how do we, market to people in, you know, the North part of Boston. And you're like, wait a minute, we've got people there. And all of a sudden it just created raving fans. And I was a user of Zipcar too. And I, you know, not to bash the other rideshare companies that are out there, but in, and they're great. I, I use them a lot, but I, there's times where, okay, I've got to do a few trips and using a Zipcar if you don't own a vehicle, especially if you're in a community where you use transit all the time, you're like, why am I you know, paying insurance and car payments for something that's going to be sitting in a driveway or a parking lot for about 80% of its existence? It's like, it's, it's a math thing. And that's something I figured out a long time ago. And, and I'm originally from Detroit. So it's kind of blasphemy for me to say <laughs> you know, that uh, I, you know, my better half has a car. 
I don't. We have one vehicle because for me, the work that I do tends to be travel driven and, you know, remote based or whatever. And it's like, why am I having a car payment and getting an additional spot in our condo building for a car that's going to sit there six out of seven days a week? It's like, it's, it's pointless. It's, uh, then that way, if I do rent a car, then I can say, okay, what do I want to rent? Let's have something fun. Um, And it just gives you the flexibility. But again, all of those lessons. Again, as I tell people, pay attention to what you're doing. Now, a lot of people say, okay, that may, what do you mean by that? It's like, I mean, the, the things you do, the people you work with, the experiences you gain are going to carry forward and they'll, you'll learn these lessons and they'll be applicable to work that you do down the road. You may not think that, but things I learned in the 80s and the 90s, I still use today. And I just, I've honed them and, you know, they're, they're stronger and I don't even have to think about it. I don't think about, okay, when did I learn how to do that? Unless I literally hit pause and say, okay, when did I learn how to do that? When it comes to branding and getting your message out and serving people, it's important for you to work with, you know, individuals like yourself because you will see opportunities that myself as an entrepreneur, may not see because I know the product, I know the service and all of that. That's great. But articulating it in a way where the public will go, I want that. that That's the thing. Yeah, of course, I think, oh yeah, you should definitely want my products and services because they're the greatest things I've ever created since my kids kind of thing. We get, we, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that type of message isn't going to connect with somebody else because everybody thinks that their own products and services are going to be the best. Absolutely. How am I, how am I solving a problem? Uh, you know, and that, and that thing, oh, you, you nailed it. I mean, thank you. you. You absolutely nailed it. I mean, I think a lot of people, um, they think they're doing market research because they talk to their friends or their family or their neighbor and they say, Hey, I've got this new business. What do you think? And then they call me and they say, I just started this company and everyone loves it. And I don't understand why we're not selling more. And I'll say, you know, how do you know everyone loves it? And they said, well, we did market research. I talked to my neighbor. I talked to my spouse, my sibling, my mother, and everyone loves it. And here's the dirty little secret. Nobody wants to tell you your baby's ugly. And if you Tell them, it's my company. I started it. I love this business. What do you think? Of course, they're going to tell you, what a great idea. What a great business. We're so happy for you. Good for you. Go get them. But they're not buying it. So a lot of times you do need kind of an independent, objective third party to conduct true market research. Because if you lead the witness, if you ask people in a way that they don't want to hurt your feelings, you're not getting real feedback from real customers who shop with their credit cards and their their wallets. So one little trick we've done is, you know, I've done it for my own business and we've done it on behalf of our clients is to go on what we call a listening tour. And, you know, politicians do it, but business people can do it too. Can you talk to prospective customers or clients or people that refer your business? Um, Who are the gatekeepers that help people find you? And what do they think about the business? And how can you talk to them either with an objective survey or some open-ended questions 
to get honest, candid feedback of what's working, what's not working, um, what do they like, what do they not like, and to really understand the difference between the features and the benefits. People fall in love with their features. We've got all these bells and whistles. These are so exciting. What do you think? People don't buy on features. They buy on benefits. What's in it for me? Well, how is this going to make my life better? Um, with Zipcar, we found that, as you were saying, the, the economic decision is very clear. If you're not using a car every day to commute to work, if you use public transportation, you know, owning a car is probably not a good financial decision. But a lot of people own a car or a second car because they have it and it's like inertia and it's nice and it's a status symbol. People aren't going to join Zipcar strictly based on the financials. But if you can make it really convenient for them and they can be assured and confident, they trust you, that every time they go online to reserve a car, there's going to be one really easy nearby. They won't have to walk more than a few blocks. It'll be seamless to, to get into, to reserve, to get into the car, to drive it, to return it. And then the, they won't have to, you know, worry about finding parking. They don't have to worry about maintaining and insuring and all the washing, cleaning, detailing. All of a sudden, you've alleviated all these problems and it's super convenient. If it were inconvenient, the price wouldn't matter. We found that like ultimately the messaging, it's not all the bells and whistles. It's that this is super convenient. It's going to make your life easier. You're going to have more time. You're not going to be driving around looking for parking. You're not going to have to worry about changing the oil and you know, making sure you've got the snow tires and all that stuff. We're, we're going to take care of all those hassles for you. And by the way, you're going to save a lot of money. You're going to love this business. Then we're going to make your life so much. You're going to have more time to do things that you love and more money to do things that you enjoy doing. And then the light bulb went off like, oh, okay, now the messaging makes sense. Now you got to get the hierarchy of the messaging right. And the only way you know how to do that is to talk to the people. So I just, I encourage people, don't think we don't have a big enough budget. We, we can't afford to do research. You know, in, in the old days, you know, when, when I started the business to do a listening tour, I would, you know, take somebody to breakfast or lunch or drinks and we'd talk about it. Now, in, in the era of COVID, you can do the whole thing on Zoom. I mean, it's virtually free. It's the cost of the time it takes to have a conversation. So there's really no excuse not to, you know, talk to the right audience and, you know, ask the right questions in an objective way to get really good feedback. Because if it's garbage in, it's going to be garbage out. If you're asking the wrong people the wrong questions, you can't call it research. I love that. And the, the nuggets that this interview has provided are, uh, they're, they may look like pebbles at the beginning, but when you start looking at it, the ripple effect of just, you know, implementing some of the things that we've talked about today in, in the people that are listening to this interview it's going to make a big difference. In, in it'll their, save you a business. lot of time, a lot of money, and it'll show impact. You'll see results. I guarantee it. That's awesome. So, Paige, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and all this amazing work you do? 
Thank you. So um, I'm easy to find. Uh, the website is mavensandmoguls.com. It's M-A-V-E-N-S-A-N-D-M-O-G-U-L-S.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Paige Arnoff Fenn. It's A-R-N-O-F hyphen F-E-N-N, Paige with an I. With a name like mine, if you Google me, it's really me. Um, and as a client of mine once said, she couldn't remember I have a hyphenated last name and a double barrel uh, company name, as she said. Um, so she, all she could remember was Paige and Mavens, and she Googled it, and I popped up. So uh, search engine optimization really works. So if you remember nothing else, just Google Paige and Mavens, and you'll find me. That's awesome. And I'll have the links uh, to all that in the show notes. So Paige, once again, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you and uh, continued success and all this awesome work you do. Thank you so much, Michael. I love being part of your show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.